exactly what to do There's nothing good playing on your TV something fun to say and if you don't like it you can get the fuck away point counterpoint hello everybody and now it's time for a new podcast it's called point counterpoint i'm your host chris wright and uh, this is the only podcast where the host will come in with an accent from another country because he doesn't give a shit and then uh, he'll tell you that he's not really from that country and you're all just a bunch of idiots now let's go fry, put some shrimps in the barbie because we're with KUC University of St. Thomas Crumpus Radio <laughs> oh I'm so unprepared today this has been a crazy day Everything is scheduled back to back, and I am stressed to the maximum at the moment. All right, I might have a couple guests joining us today. I don't know. We'll see. Um, let's see. That's fine. That's fine now. Here. Okay, so that's a no from that person. All right, so. There's a couple other people that might be here. All right. Let's see. Yeah. God, I can't type apparently. Okay, we'll see if that happens. I don't know. Um, ooh, today is a day. That's one way to describe it. There we go. Uh, well, what did I want to talk about? Um, One thing I wanted to talk about was something called the Fermi Paradox. Named after an Italian-American physicist, Enrico Fermi is the apparent contradiction between the lack of evidence for extraterrestrial civilizations and various high estimates for their probability. 
such as some optimistic estimates for the Drake equation. Michael H. Hart formalized the basic points of the argument in a 1975 paper. These include the following. There are billions of stars in the Milky Way, similar to the sun. With high probability, some of these stars have Earth-like planets. And if the Earth is typical, some may have already developed intelligent life. Some of these civilizations may have developed interstellar travel, a step that Earth is investigating now. Even at the slow pace of currently envisioned interstellar travel, the Milky Way galaxy could be completely traversed in a few million years. And since many of the stars similar to the Sun are billions of years older, this would seem to provide plenty of time. But that also might be a problem because if it's billions of years older, that means that the inhabitants had billions of years more to destroy themselves. If they're anything like us. <laughs> According to this line of reasoning, the Earth should have already been visited by an extraterrestrial civilization, or at least their probes. Although he was not the first to consider this question, Fermi's name is associated with the paradox because of a casual conversation in the summer of 1950 with fellow physicists Edward Teller, Herbert York, and M Emil Konopinski. While walking to lunch, the men discussed recent UFO reports and the possibility of faster-than-light travel. The conversation moved on to other topics until during lunch, Faramir allegedly said suddenly, But where is everybody? Although the exact quote is uncertain. There have been many attempts to explain the Fermi paradox, primarily suge suggesting that intelligent extraterrestrial beings are extremely rare and that the lifetime of such civilizations is short or that they exist. They exist, but for various reasons, we see no evidence. Now, depending on your opinion on whether we've been visited before, uh, you would say maybe we haven't. Maybe these, these we have been visited by probes or other life forms, but not officially. And you could say, oh, the government's the the government's hiding it from us. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But you know, it's fun. Um, which well, that makes me. Whoops. Think of the Mitchell Hedges skull. Uh, so Frederick Al Albert Mitchell Hedges, sometimes known as Mike Hedges. Uh, was an English adventurer, traveler, and writer. Uh, he was known for his connection to the Mitchell Hedges crystal skull, claimed to have been found with his adopted daughter, Anna Mitchell Hedges, in Lubantum, British Honduras, now Belize, in 1924. Archival evidence shows that the elder Mitchell Hedges bought the skull of a Sotheby's auction in 1943, and other of his finds are also in question. Oh, actually, there's another extraterrestrial thing. Look, um, I don't know what it's called. Um, kind of a metal sphere. Uh, extraterrestrial. The Bet Sphere is that it? Listen, what's this? You're accessing an archived episode of Skeptoid. To hear the entire catalog beyond just the 50 newest shows and all ad-free, 
please subscribe to the premium feed. Visit the members portal at skeptoid.com members and put your tax-deductible donation to work. You'll also qualify... Wow, I, I thought that was going to get into something. Uh, I see a photo. There's, I think there's a photo somewhere. <laughs> a very strange thing happened in May of 1974 when a Florida man named Terry Betts found on his island property this curious metal sphere, now known as the Betts Sphere. They took it home. They didn't know what it was. They thought it looked like a, a downed NASA satellite or maybe a Soviet satellite. So Terry just puts it in a windowsill for a couple of weeks. Then one day, he has a friend over, and as he's playing the guitar, the sphere suddenly starts to come alive. It starts making humming sounds, and it seems to be responding to particular notes played by the guitar. Then another thing he noticed is that if you put the sphere on the ground, and this just looks like an ordinary red metal sphere. Roll away from you and then roll back to the person who rolled the sphere initially. If you put it on a tabletop, it'll roll around the tabletop, but never off the edge of the tabletop. Then strange things started happening. Doors in their houses started slamming on their own. Okay, so this is just, I'm just being skeptical here. Um, one pro, at least with the tabletop thing, it's possible that maybe the, maybe the table had a little dip somewhere in the middle where, uh, it would roll, it would roll to one end, it would go up, not quite to the edge, roll back, maybe something like that. Uh, as far as following people and like going back to the person that originally rolled it, um, I mean, the only, the only way that you could really dispute that is just say it's all fake, really. Which it could be. But, something to think about and they began hearing organ music in the house at night. And this started to really concern them. They had the military and NASA come and look at this sphere to see if it was some kind of military device or uh, some piece of a spaceship or something like that. Both of them said, no, we don't know what this is. Well, the Betts family decided to consent to further testing at the nearby naval station. And after x-raying the sphere, they found out that it wasn't hollow, that there in fact were two spheres within that sphere. It had magnetic poles, and these poles would shift and move around on their own accord. It would defy logic, how are these spheres moving? And they also noted that it was sending out radio waves. In the end, no one could ever explain it, so it was kept with the Betts family. And today we don't know where this sphere is, in fact. But you have to ask yourself, what was this strange metallic sphere? What was it made of? How could it do? Oh, and this is just a word to the wise. Um, if you ever find an artifact like this, keep it. Do not sell it to some random person, unless, unless you know what it is. Um, but if you get like a cool sphere like this that does all these amazing things, do not do not sell it. Do not give it to the government because you think they're going to do the best. You're not going to see that again. Don't give it to any anyone. Don't do anything with it unless 
you know that you're going to get it back. All right. All of the strange things that it was doing. Where is the bet sphere today? And what information is it gathering and communicating back to whoever made this strange thing in the first place? That's what I want to know. Our government has probably learned a great deal about a sphere that has self-activating software and maybe has been sending and receiving to other intelligences the whole time. That reminds me of a funny quote. Um, I think this is the one. What are you grinning about? We wanted at the Tower of London. Every cube across the whole world activated at the same this moment. This isn't the one. It's this one. Haven't you seen them? What are they? Nobody knows. They're everywhere. Well, where have they come from? Wait. Doctor. Invasion of the very small cubes. <laughs> That's new. That's new. Invasion of the very small cubes. That's new. <laughs> All right, let's let's do some digging here. Why not? Why not do some digging? Um, All right, fine. I'll I'll block the ad blocker. All right, does that make you happy? Does that make All right. This is this the mysterious bot this might Oh, actually this is a different metal sphere, but let's look at it. All right. All right, the ad covered content. The mystery, the mystery ball from space. Experts baffled by metal sphere that crashed to Earth in a remote area of Namibia. It is a mysterious ball that looks like a prop from a science fiction film, and nobody can explain where it came from. Police have been baffled after a strange metal sphere fell to the ground in a remote area of nor of northern Nam Namibia, Africa. I can't talk. It weighs around 13 pounds and has a diameter of 14 inches, and its rough surface looks like two halves welded together. Maybe, maybe it just is. Maybe it's just a metal ball," said Police Forensics Director. I'm looking at the photo here. It doesn't look very special. When the ball came down, it caused it caused a crater 12 inches deep and 13 feet wide, although it was some 60 feet away. Locals claim to have heard several explosions. In days before, it was discovered by a farmer on his land. The magic mouse is better than the mighty mouse. Ah.
He said that the ball was discovered a month ago, but has only been made public. Whilst it wasn't made of sophisticated material, it was something that was known to mankind. Uh, he explained that the explosion heard by locals could have been the sonic boom when it broke the sound barrier coming out of Earth or by the impact of the ground. The component appeared to be a metallic compound normally used in space vehicles, although he would not be surprised if it was from a normal aircraft. Police to the Inspector General Vilho Hifindraka added that the sphere, which landed 480 miles from the Namibian capital of Windhoek, did not pose any danger. He said, it is not an explosive device, but the rather hollow, but we had to investigate all this first. Hollow, that's interesting, because the bet sphere is also hollow. Let's keep going. Oh, wow, giant alien mass structure found in space. That sounds fake. Exclude this site too. Okay, some think that the object is a giant solar energy farm, uh, though scientists caution that it may also be spectacular clouds of dust. <laughs> of course. I kind of figured it was going to be something like that. But that was, that was such a sensationalist headline. Um... Giant me giant balls of metal are falling from the sky all, all around the world. All right. Brits, Russians, and now Peruvians have spotted fireballs plummeting into their local towns within weeks of each other. So where did they come from? Locals from Peru's southeastern Andean community were terrified after finding three mysterious metal objects in nearby fields. They found the huge rocks hours after dozens of people and videos of a blazing object taken in Peruvian towns of Tingo Maria and Pucalculpa, which are 150 mile, 15 miles away from each other, were uploaded to social media. Romulo Barros, the chief of the fire service in Brazilian municipality of Cruzeiro do Sul, said the object was most likely a meteorite, but the Peruvian Air Force confirms the fireballs was actually a Russian space rocket re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. He added that the fireball may have been the re-entry of the SL-23 rocket and the three metal spheres were fuel tanks belonging to a satellite. And meteorologist Alejandro Fonesca from the Federal University of Acre in Brazil uh, said that no meteorites had been predicted to fall in the area. He suggested that the ball was more likely made of space debris, a term used to describe a defunct man-made objects such as old satellites that are left in space. He said when the debris enters the atmosphere, it comes... Okay, got the point. All right, let's, let's look at more specifically at the bet sphere. Where's NPR? And it looks like a podcast about it. Each each week, host Lindsay Kilbride dives deeper into the 1974 mystery of the Bet Sphere. 
wait a minute. So is this just a podcast to, devoted to the bet sphere? <laughs> Dear, why? Why does it need a whole podcast to itself? Started in September 13th, 2019. Uh, its most recent episode is November 4th. There have been five episodes. Huh. Um. Okay, another another interesting story about uh, potential alien encounters is a uh, story of Barney and Betty Hill. And this is a pretty famous story. I'll read it to you. Uh, And they were an American couple who claimed that they were abducted by extraterrestrials in a rural portion of the state of New Hampshire from September 19th to 20th, 1961. It was the first widely publicized report of an alien abduction in the United States. Uh, It came to be known as the Hill Abduction and the Zeta Reticuli Incident because the couple stated that they had been kidnapped by aliens who claimed to be Zeta Reticuli system. Uh, their story was adapted to the best-selling 1966 book, The Interrupted Journey, and the 1975 television movie, The UFO Incident. In September 2016, plans were announced to make the film based on the events with an unknown release date. Uh, most of Betty Hill's notes, tapes, and other items have been placed in the permanent collection of the University of New Hampshire, her alma mater. In July 2011, the State Division of Historical Resources made the site of the alleged craft's first approach with a historical marker. All right. So, information about the actual encounter. Uh, so, September 16th, 1961, uh, about 10.30 p.m., uh, they drive back to Portsmouth from a vacation in Niagara Falls. In, in Montreal, uh, just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, Betty claimed to have observed a bright point of light in the sky that moved from below the moon and the planet Jupiter upward to the west of the moon. While Barney navigated U.S. Route 3, Betty reasoned that she was w- observing a falling star only and moved upward. Since it moved erratically and grew bigger and brighter, Betty urged Barney to stop the car for a closer look. As well as to walk their dog, Delcy Barney stopped at a scenic picnic just south of Twin Mountain. Uh, Betty looking through. Okay, um, I want to skip ahead to where they're actually having the encounter. Uh, okay, might have Barney have a huge pancake. Carrying his pistol in his pocket, he stepped away from the vehicle and moved closer to the object. Using the binoculars, Barney claimed to have seen about 8 to 11 humanoid figures who were peering out of the craft's windows. Uh, Seeming to look at him, in unison, all but one figure moved to what appeared to be a panel on the rear wall of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. The one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and communicated a message telling him to stay where you are and keep looking. He had a recollection of observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black cop caps. Uh, red lights on what appeared to be bat wing 
uh, fins began to telescope out of the sides of the craft, and long structure descended to the bottom. Uh, Barney tore the binoculars away from his eyes and ran back to the car. And in, in a near hysterical state, he told Betty, "They're going to capture us." He saw the object again sh- uh, shift its location to directly above the vehicle. He drove away at high speed, telling Betty to look for the object. She rolled down the window and looked up. Almost immediately, the hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping and buzzing sounds. While they were said, while they said, seemed to bounce off the trunk of the vehicle. The car vibrated, and a tingling sensation passed through the hills' bodies. The hills said that they then experienced the onset of the of altered state of consciousness that left their minds dulled. A second series of beeping or buzzing sounds returned to the couple to full consciousness. They found that they had traveled nearly 35 miles south, but only vague spotty memories of the section of road. They recalled making a sudden unplanned turn, encountering a roadblock, and observing a fiery orb in the road. Oh, side note. uh, I've heard it said that uh, by skeptics that say they don't believe that there really was an alien encounter here, but they believe that Barney and Betty believed they had an alien encounter. So for whatever reason, they believed that they thought they were telling the truth. Oh, um, Ten days after the alleged UFO encounter, Betty began having a series of vivid dreams. They continued to for five successive nights, Never in her memory had she recalled dreams in such detail and intensity, but they stopped abruptly after five nights and never returned. They occupied her thoughts during the day. When she finally did mention them to Barney, he was sympathetic, but not too concerned. The matter was dropped, but he did not mention them to Barney again. November 1961, Betty began writing down the details of her dreams. In one dream, she and Barney encountered a roadblock and men who surrounded their car. She lost consciousness but struggled to regain it and then realized that she was being forced by two small men to walk in a forest in the nighttime and of seeing Barney walking behind her, though when she called to him, he seemed to be in a trance of sleepwalking. The men stood about five to four, five feet to five feet four inches tall and wore matching blue uniforms with caps similar to those worn by military cadets. They appeared nearly human, with black hair, dark eyes, prominent noses, and bluish lips. Uh, their sky, skin was a grayish color. Um, they walked up a ramp to a disc-shaped object of metallic appearance. Uh, they were separated. She protested and was told uh, by a man she called the leader that if she and Barney were examined together, it would take much longer to conduct the exams. So they're taken to separate rooms. Uh, uh, then she then she dreamt that a new man, similar to them, to the others, entered the, the to conduct her exam with the leader. She called this new man the examiner and said he had a pleasant, calm manner. Uh, thought the leader was the examiner's, spoke to her in English. The examiner's command of the language seemed imperfect, and she had difficulty understanding it. Uh, yeah, um told Betty that he would conduct a few tests and note the differences between humans and the craft's occupants. He seated her on the chair, and a bright light was shown on her. The man cut off a lock of Betty's hair, examined her eyes, ears, mouth, teeth, throat, hands, saved trimmings from her fingernails. After examining her legs and feet, the the man used a dull knife similar to a letter opener 
to scrape some of her skin onto what resembled cellophane. He then tested her nervous system and thrust a needle into her navel, which caused Betty agonizing pain, whereupon the leader waved his hand in front of her eyes and the pain vanished. So he seemed uh, willing to relieve us of any discomfort. So not particularly unfriendly, especially the one guy. Um, left the room, and Betty engaged in conversation with the leader. The, ex the examiner left the room, and Betty engaged in a conversation with the leader. She picked up books with rows of strange symbols that the leader said she could take home with her. She also asked her where he came, and he pulled down an instructional map dotted with stars. In Betty's dream, the men began escorting the hills from the ship's ship when a disagreement broke out. The leader then informed Betty that she couldn't keep the book, stating that she had decided that the other men did not want her to even remember the encounter. Betty insisted that no matter what what they did to her memory, she would one day recall the events. She and Varney were taken to their car. When the leader suggested that they, that they wait to watch the crash departure, they did so and then resumed their drive. Uh, they, they attended a meeting... Uh, November 23rd, 1962, uh, at the parsonage of their church where the invited guest speaker, where the invited guest speaker was Captain Ben H. Sweat of the United States Air Force, who had recently published a book of his poetry. After he read sections of his poetry, the pastor asked him to discuss his personal interest in hypnosis. After the meeting broke up, the Hills approached Captain Sweat privately and told him that what they could remember of their strange encounter, he was particularly interested in the missing time of the Hills account. The Hills asked Sweat if he could hypnotize them to recover their memories, but Sweat said that he was not qualified to do that and cautioned them against going to an amateur hypnotist such as himself. Yeah. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. Uh, actually... Actually, there's one part I want to get into. Um, I want to get into the hypnosis sessions, and I'll just I'll just read the conclusions. After the hypnosis sessions, Simon speculated that Barney Barney's recollection of the UFO encounter was possibly a fantasy inspired by Betty's dreams. Simon thought it was most reasonable and consistent explanation. Barney rejected this idea, noting that while their memories were consistent in some regards, there were also portions of both their narratives that were uni unique to each other. Barney was now ready to accept that they had been abducted by the occupants of a UFO, though he never embraced it as fully as Betty did. Though the Hills and Simon disagreed about the nature of the case, they all concur that the hypnosis sessions were effective. The Hills were no longer tormented by anxiety about their experience, Afterwards, Simon wrote an article about the Hills for the journal uh, Psychiatric Opinion, explaining his his conclusions that the case was a singular psychological aberration. I'm going to see if I can find that paper. Okay. And Betty. 
Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's not the right one. Okay, I don't have to look at that. That's not important. But yeah. So, did it happen? Well, we I believe that they believe it happened, and but did it actually happen? Possibly. Um, but actually, Barney and Betty's granddaughter is a current MMA fighter um, who recently went on Joe Rogan Experience. And she's, of course, the granddaughter. Uh, yeah. Well, she just says she's the grand, her grandfather is Barney Hill. It doesn't say Betty, but I'm not, I thought they got married though. I I think she's, she's Betty's granddaughter too. Let me see. And Betty Hill get married. Um. Betty Hill died in 2004. Um, lung cancer. Um, let's see. Uh, didn't say anything about it. I don't know. I think, I think they were married. Yeah. But she's an MMA fighter, Angela Hill. Um, they didn't actually talk about that on the, on the Joe Rogan experience. She's uh, hopefully she'll come on the show again soon t to discuss that. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, <laughs> I got so sidetracked on the Barney and Betty stuff and the and the ball. Um, I got I forgot about the Mitchell Hedges skull. Um. But yeah, that's pretty interesting too. Uh, as it, it actually inspired Dan Aykroyd's vodka. Uh, who has a crystal skull as the bottle? It's called it's called Crystal Head Vodka. Um, I think that's the name. Of it. Here's a video of him. Yeah, Crystal Head Vodka. Greetings, I'm Dan Aykroyd. Welcome to Crystal Head University, sponsored by the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board and Crystal Head Vodka. You know the product. We've been having great success with it. You embraced it. It's in bars and restaurants. It's an ultra premium vodka that the consumer is now enjoying. Uh, you get it. You see what's going on here. We have a lovely uh, package that uh, produces a rye reaction, W-R-Y. Uh, we're going to hold a little education session here about the product. What we produce is a pure spirit, a clean spirit, 
Um, with that, we have won the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, the double gold medal. 200 white spirits, 30 judges uh, sitting there at tables trying all of the white spirits in a blind taste. We rose right to the top with a unanimous vote. So what you get with Crystal Head is you get the quality of the beverage, which is quadruple distilled and filtered through charcoal and then filtered again through Herkimer diamonds. Herkimer diamonds are semi-precious crystals. They bubble up to the top of the ground in two places on the planet, anomalously. Uh, these beautiful semi-precious crystals, we get the, the white ones, the satin white ones, and we put them in a cone and we pour our vodka through there. And it produces a beautiful uh, satiny finish that you can enhance if you freeze your head. Why is Crystal Head the bartender's friend? Well, it's a clean slate. It's a virgin canvas. If I am making a 1958 Long Island Railroad Don Draper Madison Avenue classic bar car martini, do I want citrus in there? No, I don't want citrus oil in there. I don't want citrus in there. I'm going to add white vermouth. I'm going to add a little splash of olive juice. I'm going to add a pearl cocktail onion and a couple of olives. The bar car martini is two ounces of crystal head, a splash of vermouth, splash of uh, olive juice, a pearl onion, and two olives. Crystal driver is uh, crystal head vodka, two ounces in a rock glass with ice. Get a squeezer, get tangerines, clementines, tangelos, squeeze them and pour that in there and it should look like a, an egg yolk is just infusing uh, the liquid in the glass. Uh, Crystal Head is available at your local uh, PA Wine and Spirits store and uh, you should also log on to finewineandgoodspirits.com to check the availability. Um, Crystal Head is really the, uh, the great gift uh, item for both the Halloween season and for, uh, for Christmas. Um, also, uh, Fine Wine and Good Spirits uh, can be found on Facebook, references there, and Twitter. As always, use your head and drink responsibly. Any questions? <laughs> oh, that was, they always have to say drink responsibly. Uh, <laughs> so here's a little clip of that. Here's a purity alcohol ad. You, friends, fun, drink, hot girls, you're hot, drink more, expensive cars, ass, drink, ass, money, you in a tuxedo, threesome, vodka, pussy, drink, 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 you, drink, Vegas, fun, pussy, you in a tuxedo, f***ing this girl, vodka, drink, 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 drink it all, you f***ing pussy, more tuxedos, more cars, more pussy, more vodka, drink, drink, drink. Please drink responsibly. <laughs> Um, so, um, the Mitchell Hedges, uh, claims to fame was his discovery of a crystal skull. He claims to have found it with his daughter and Anna at the Maya ruin of Lubatun while on an expedition to British Honduras, uh, as I said, Belize nowadays in the 1920s. However, he made no rec record of the skull until the late 1940s, remember 1920s to the forties. Uh, after a crystal skull was auctioned off by Sidney Burney at Sotheby's in October 1943. Moreover, in December 1943, F.A. Mitchell Hedges disclosed in a letter to his brother that he recently acquired a, uh, the skull in an auction from Burney paying 400 pounds 
Controversies continues, continued when the identical measurements were found between Sotheby's skull and Mitchell Hedges' skull, leaving the authenticity of this artifact questionable at best. Mitchell Hedges' crystal skull was retained in the possession of his adopt, ad, <laughs> adopted daughter until her death on the 11th of, May, of April 2007. Prior to her death, the skull was only shown to the public periodically, making it hard for the skull to be accessed and tested for authenticity. Since Anna's death, the skull has been examined thoroughly, and despite many previous claims, the skull has been dated as post-Columbus era. Based on microscopic evidence, the skull's tool markings are a result of modern equipment and not tools found in ancient Maya sites. And of course, it inspired uh, the the movie Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah, but let's get another take on this. Here, Anna Mitchell Hedges discovers a crystal skull under a collapsed altar inside a Mayan temple. It becomes known as a Skull of Doom when Mayans tell Anna that the skull was used by the high priest to curse someone with death. Despite traces of mechanical grinding, some believe the skull is 12,000 years old and that it was chiseled in... <laughs> oh, I have to hear that again. 12 skull, some believe mechanical grinding, Despite traces of mechanical grinding, despite traces of mechanical grinding, despite traces of mechanical grinding, some believe, some believe the skull is 12,000 years old and that it was chiseled. <laughs> the crux, man. Despite the, despite the appearance of mechanical grinding, some believe that it's over 12,000 years old into its rough form before being polished with sand for 150 to 300 years. After an archaeologist reports that the holes show signs of metal drilling, further tests on the skull are denied. During the New Age movement, crystal skulls claim to exhibit paranormal phenomena. So, paranormal. Anna takes the skull of doom on tour until her death. Modern tests confirm that the skull was carved in the 1930s, and the documents prove that Anna's father bought the skull in London in 1943. <laughs> used by the high priest, the skull was used by the high priest to curse someone with death. Despite traces of mechanical grinding with death, dis death. despite traces of mechanical grinding, despite traces of mechanical grinding, Despite traces of mechanical grinding, despite traces of mechanical grinding. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is so funny. Here's a 1924 clip of Mr. Mitchell Hedges. I'll read it. Mr. Mitchell Hedges, the famous explorer, leaves with his 20-ton yacht on SS Traveler to seek the, the lost city of the Mayas in the Central America. Oh, this is just a silent movie here. So th there he is, um, standing there with his little pipe, uh, getting ready to go off in his little boat. 
Okay, you're not gonna get anything out of this. This is completely visual. Somebody. <laughs> All right. What's this say? If you and I could accept the theory that beings from outer space intervened with humans, could it have been to give us technology? This is Mitchell Hedges' skull from Mysteries of the Gods, 1977, with William Shatner. To supply us with information from a higher culture. This is the ancient Mayan city of Lubantun. It was here that only a few years ago was found the most beautiful and mystifying object. A skull made of purest mountain crystal. The skull is cut from a single piece of crystal. Yet, there are no visible traces of tooling, even viewed under a high-powered microscope. We don't know its exact age. It could be three, maybe five thousand years old. Many say it was from the ancient astronauts, or inspired by them. I flew to Kitchener, Ontario, to take a personal look at the crystal skull, and to meet its owner, Miss Anna Mitchell Hedges. We've used the modern airplane to come, come and see something very ancient. A crystal skull, it's ominous, it's... it's Awesome. Has the skull brought goodness or badness to people? One girl um, from Australia came to see is at Valley Castle, and she laughed at it when my father was giving a, a lecture. And my father was very angry at the time, so he closed the box, and he wouldn't lecture on it anymore because he believe he has strong belief in the crystal skull that has more power and. And uh, any gods mm -hmm. that we have. And uh, months later, two young uh, Australian came and they asked to see the crystal skull. So we know that uh, somebody must have told them. And I called my father in and he said, well, Why do you want to see it? He said, Well, we have a special reason we like to see it because the girl that laughed at it about three months ago. Uh, told us on our dying bed to come to see the crystal skull, but please do not laugh at it. She was sure that her death was uh, due. due because she laughed at the crystal skull. You found it? Yes, I found it. Your father was an archaeologist? Yes. And he was doing the diggings in, the, in that area? In that area. And, and you were there as a child? I was with him. As a child? As a child, 10 years of age. My father said this is where the Maya started from. And after years of clearing the ground there and lifting stones, which are huge stones, they had to take two people to lift them and to place them mm -hmm. so they wouldn't, uh, nobody would have an accident with them. And I saw something shining and the sun was throwing on it. And we, I got the Maya people to help me to lift the, clear this ground. And of course we found the top of the crystal they hid. Mm -hmm. And three months later, we found the uh, jaw. The theater uh, where we found the crystal skull was eight square miles. My goodness. How many people would collect in an eight square mile theater? Oh, thousands of people. Thousands. My gosh. I'm, I'm trying to put myself back into time and space, back to when the skull was used for religious ceremony. Can you describe to me how it was used, who used it, where it was used? 
Well, um, for instance, uh, it is written down on stones, carved in stones there, that um, this was used by the high priest of the Maya for willing death or to heal. Mm -hmm. And particularly for an old witch doctor or wise man, medicine man, he was getting too old to perform his work. A young man was chosen who had belief in become a medicine man, and both were laid in front of the altar, and the high priest would perform the ceremony, and the knowledge of the old man would go all into the young boy, mm -hmm. and the old man then would pass away peacefully, and this young boy would get up as a man, knowledgeable, mm -hmm. and ready to perform the same ceremony as the old man did. Can you tell me, what kind of testing was done on the skull to, to authenticate it? It's been uh, examined in San Francisco for six years. And what did they find? Uh, they found that the, no tool has ever touched it. And no, it tool, no tool has no ever tool. touched it? No tool. It's all hand done. They rubbed it down with hot sand and different herbs. Mm -hmm. And it took five generations to rub down. But it had to be the same family from five generations, religious. Five religious generations Generation, of families. Yes. They were, they, their, their whole function was yes. to make the skull? All done by hand. Yes. And rubbed by sand and by, by sand herbs? By sand and herbs. Hot sand. And about how many years would you say? Uh, 150 years to rub down. Continuously. To get it perfect. But the information that uh, the ability to make the skull was known by the Mayans and not by the ancient astronauts? Uh, Yes, I would believe an astronaut has a lot to do with it, but my own, an anchor, which are more astronaut. Could you tell me, could you explain that a little bit more? Mm. Could you just give me a little more detail about what you mean by the astronaut and the... Well, we know that people have uh, come to this Earth before we have. Mm -hmm. And they were definitely astronauts, weren't they? Uh, I... This is my belief, and this is the Maya belief. All right, uh, let's just watch this video quick. It has nothing to do with it. Mitchell Hedges called. I just want to see what it is. what it's doing it's saying you've never seen a star do this and he's on a plane and he's got he's filming this uh what appears to be a star in the sky and it, it looks like the star is getting bigger and rounder more by well it looks more disc-like as it gets bigger uh to me what it looks more like is it's not getting bigger so much as it's getting less in focus because of course when it's less focused it gets a little, a little bigger it gets blurrier let me watch a little. Oh, what was that? I can't even describe this. Um, 
look up the video. You've never seen a star do this. The water above? I don't know what that means. Oh, this looks pretty fake to me. Uh, yeah. I'm not digging that. What's well, this? Top 10 song meanings everyone gets wrong. And I'm not watching any of those clickbait things. Um, here's Crystal Skulls for sale on Amazon. <laughs> if you're into that. Wine savant large skull face decanter with four skull shot glasses and beautiful wooden base. By, by use skull head cup for a whiskey, scotch, and vodka shot glasses. 25 ounce decanter, 3 ounces shot glass. Hmm. Alright. Well, looks like uh, for the next uh, little bit, uh, all of my classes are going to be online because uh, the campus has been closed because of the coronavirus. Turns out uh, good things don't happen when you decide to eat bats and other strange wild animals in your little in your wild animal trade. Okay? So friendly reminder, don't eat bats. And this extends to other strange animals. Okay? Don't don't do it. Or else everyone in the world will suffer because of you. All right, I. Oh, I hope you understand that. <laughs> oh boy. Well, um, yeah, and I'm not gonna read a scientific art scientific article today because there's not enough time, and also I did a lot of research in in the alien stuff, as we were talking today. And that's gonna that's gonna kind of cover that part. I did a lot of reading for this episode, so yeah, a little break from those scientific journal articles, okay? But just remember, um, since we we're talking about a uh, little conspiratorial stuff, um, Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> It's been lit, fam. Namaste. I better go now. <laughs>